Bible this morning, uh, right before we jump into our passage, I'm going to do what we always do, young ones, kids, I'm going to tell you what this passage is going to be about uh, and what the sermon is going to be about. We're all going to be on the same page and it's going to be fantastic. So kids, question for you. Let's, let's have a moment of, big word, vulnerability. Let's just be honest with each other. Kids, okay? This is the church, this is a family. Who here is afraid of the dark? Come on, kids. Adults, too. Who here is afraid of the dark? Everyone's hand should be up. Oh, my goodness. Please. This is why we love. Do you like flashlights? Do you like fires? Do you like big bonfires? Do you like lightsabers? Yes, because we don't like the dark. Uh, how about this? <laughs> okay, uh, I don't care about the dark. Hey, uh, how about this? When the power goes out in your house, are you like, oh, yeah, woo? No. <laughs> no, Richard. You, it's like, this. no, you know, everyone comes running to, you know, the parents like, the, the power's out, the power's out. And then what is the greatest sound in the world when the power goes out? God, <laughs> let's pray. <laughs> God. Lights go out. We, we, hey, we are. We're coming back to that. That was, that was really good, Mayfair. Okay. Um, uh, when the lights go out in the house and the sound you're waiting for is that and the power goes back on and the lights come on. We love that stuff. Okay. Uh, it's kind of, kind of on the same page here. Uh, who here knows what the sun is? Like the, the thing in the sky. Like, what is the sun? Y'all can just... A star. Good. Peyton. Well, you had your hand up. <laughs> Who's ready? Rapid fire. What's the sun? It's a star. Good. Anybody else? What else? Any Blake? Star close enough to the earth. Good. Yeah, William. Big ball of fire and gas. That's what the sun is. The sun is plasma, which is just another. It is, I think that's scientists. Am I right about that? Um, a hot ball of plasma. It's like a hot ball of glowing fire. Uh, inside the sun, you know how hot it is? It is 27 million degrees. It's super hot. Okay, how about this? That's the sun. What about the moon? Who knows what the moon is? Just go, go. The moon is a planet. The moon is a planet? Charlotte. A planet? Good, Olivia, you're going to say something? No? Anybody else? Come on, just yell it. Go. Vivian. A rock. It is a rock. If you go to the moon, we've been to the moon. I just watched this awesome documentary about the moon with Buddy. You guys got to watch it. Uh, what is it? 12 people? 21 people? How many have been? 12. Only 12 people have been to the moon. They get to the moon, it's, and they actually didn't know what they, it exactly was going to be. They step on it. It's dust. It's rock. It's dirt. That's it. That's all the moon is. Okay. Uh, the moon is also the second brightest object in the sky after the sun. The moon is the second brightest object in the sky after the sun but it's just a rock. As in like, is the moon a light? Oh, Richard, yes, because of the sun. What if there was no sun? Would the moon be shining? No, it's just a rock. 
Okay, so now I'll come back to y'all. This is it right here. Uh, let's say you're one and Jesus is the other. Uh, are you the moon or the sun? Good, you're the moon. Jesus, is he the? See, yeah, he's the sun. Okay, so if Jesus is the sun, you're the moon. Meaning, what that means is this. Jesus is the, this is what we're going to read about today. Jesus is the light that we need to see the world as it really is. Without Jesus, the world would be in total darkness. Like we need Jesus to see the world as it really is. He's that light. And Jesus as the light shows us that this world is actually a broken world, like a sinful world, a dark world. Jesus is the light we need to see who we really are. Like if we didn't have Jesus, we wouldn't even be able to really see who we are. It would just all be darkness. Jesus shows us that we are broken too, that we are sinners in need of a savior. And last, Jesus is the light we need to see that Jesus is the savior, that Jesus is the light who took, now here's the awesomeness about Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light who came down from heaven and took all of our darkness on himself on the cross in order to bring us to the light of heaven, in order to get us out of the darkness of this broken world. That's what we're going to read about today. And, and what that means for you is you now, because you know Jesus, kids, you're like the moon reflecting, shining that light of Jesus to the world. You're not a light just by yourself, but the light of Jesus, because you know Jesus, the light of Jesus shines from you into the world, meaning you love people, people who know Jesus, and you love people who don't know Jesus. And you show them his light, you show them his love in order that they too would come to the light of Jesus. And then they would shine too. That's what we're going to be looking at today. We are in our series, uh, the Old Testament book of Zechariah. Old Testament, just a little catch up, how we got here, Israel, uh, they got defeated by uh, Babylon. Uh, they got taken into captivity for 70 years by the great nation of Babylon. Persia comes along, beats Babylon, becomes a new world empire, and they free the Israelites. These Israelites who have been in captivity for 70 years and say, hey, you can, go, you can go throughout the Persian empire, enjoy yourselves, just know that it's our empire, you're under our thumb, uh, but go, be free. Like, you want to go back to Jerusalem? Go back to Jerusalem. You want to go build your temple again? Great, go build your temple. You want to go worship your God, whoever he is? Great, go do that. And so you get a group of Jews, leave Babylon, they go back to Jerusalem, and they start rebuilding. They start rebuilding the temple. And, and, and very sadly, uh, uh, very, uh, this is hard. They, they face persecution. They face suffering. They, they face hardness on every side. And, and they're just beset with, with trouble. And they're looking to God saying, whoa, whoa, like, what's up? You brought us back. We're trying to worship you and build your temple. And this is so hard. What is going on? And so God sends the Old Testament prophet Zechariah to them to tell them what's going on, to tell them of his presence, that he is actually with them in the midst of all this darkness. Now, just because uh, this is really going to bring out the text uh, this morning. Remember, we're, we're actually looking at the first half of Zechariah. And if you took Zechariah... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's what they call a diptych. So uh, imagine two halves to the book of Zechariah. This half and this half mirror each other. They parallel each other in terms of structure, in terms of uh, themes. And so we're focusing on the first half. Now, 
Here's what's really cool. The first half is also a diptych. <laughs> this is the beauty of Zechariah uh, and the organization to it, the structure of it is the first half of uh, these seven visions that are the first half. These seven visions form a diptych around the fourth vision, which is like the spine um, of, of the first half of Zechariah. And so we're just coming out of that fourth vision. Uh, and now we're in the fifth vision uh, of Zechariah. So please stand. The text this morning is Zechariah 4, verses 1 to 14. This is the fifth vision. We're, there's a lot here. We're not getting to everything in this vision today. So if, if you're thinking, well, wait, what about, and then what about, that's good. And then you got to come back next Sunday. Uh, the reading of God's word, Zechariah 4, verses 1 to 14. This is the angel who talked with me, came again and woke me like a man who's awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So he's being given another vision here. I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, hey, what are these, my Lord? And then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. And he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever is despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? And he said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. And he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth, the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Okay, you have probably heard of a menorah. Uh, but you may not know exactly what a menorah is, like what, it, what, what is the menorah's function way back in the day of Israel. The menorah was the lampstand. It's this big, giant candlestick. And it was in the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, so if you can, you know, try to picture a menorah in your head Typically, there is a central trunk with three branches coming out of that central trunk, three branches coming out on either side. And at the top of the central trunk and at the top of each of these branches is a bowl. There, there's a cup, a bowl uh, for oil. And so if you look across the menorah, you've got a total of seven lamps, seven lights, seven flames. 
Now, to make a menorah, to craft a menorah, the craftsman would, would first start with a wooden frame. He'd make this thing out of, out of wood, uh, and then he would mold gold all around it, kind of like wrapping it around, like you would wrap foil around something. He would mold this gold, and he'd wrap it around the wood frame, so the whole thing is gold. So Zechariah sees this menorah, and he sees these two olive trees flanking the menorah on, on either side. And he, he asks, like, okay, what am I looking at? And he knows, he knows what a menorah is. He knows what an olive tree is. But he means, what do they mean? And we're saving the olive trees for next Sunday, so we're going to focus on the menorah. What does that menorah mean? That's what Zechariah asks. And the angel answers this very cryptic, seemingly cryptic, stuff about, well, there's Zerubbabel. Well, who's Zerubbabel? We're going to come back to him, but basically the current governor, the current ruler over the Jews back in Jerusalem. And there's someone talking to a mountain. There's someone there in this vision talking to a mountain, great mountain, you're really not that great, and your days are coming to an end. Zerubbabel is about to lay the top stone over here, the same Zerubbabel who laid the foundations of this thing. And you, what is this thing? He tells us in verse 9, the same Zerubbabel who laid the foundations of this house. Now, more on all that in a second, but the key there is when Zechariah asks, like, what's this menorah? What's this olive tree stuff about? The angel says it is about this house, the house of God, a.k.a. it's about the temple. Uh, the, the menorah is a picture where the part represents the whole. And our English teachers tell us that is called a synecdoche, which I'm going to say a whole bunch right now. Pop quiz. Listen for these synecdoches. Hey, after church, would you come check out my new wheels? Am I on? Wait, yes. You got to hear this. <laughs> you got to hear this thing after church. Uh, hey, won't you come check out my new wheels and we'll go, break, uh, we'll go break bread and maybe enjoy a little bit of the bubbly because it's Sunday brunch after all. Okay, tons of great synecdoches there. Great pickup line. Here we go. Uh, the, the, my wheels. What's my wheels? Come check out my wheels. My new wheels. Tires that, that tell thank you thank that tell you I've got a new car. I don't, actually I don't have a new car, but yeah, come check out my wheels. Okay, that's a car. Uh, how about this? We're gonna go break bread. We're gonna go eat, and we're not just gonna eat bread. We're gonna eat more than bread, and then let's have a little bit of the bubbly champagne. Uh, and the bubbles aren't even the best part of the champagne. Um, how about this? Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Julius Caesar, Shakespeare. Yeah, and listening, like, yep, and I don't want just your ears. I want your full attention. Lend me your whole, like, come on, look at me. Uh, beautiful are the feet that bring the good news. That's the Bible. That's Isaiah. It's not just the feet. Oh, those feet are so beautiful. It's like beautiful are the feet. Beautiful is like the person. I'm bringing the good news. Okay, the menorah is the part that represents the whole temple, which means, pretty obvious, 
uh, which is why the, the angel's immediate response is like, you don't know what this means? Like, you don't know what the menorah stands for? Did you know what the menorah is? It's about God's house. It's about God's temple I'm showing you. Because one way the Old Testament uses the concepts of house, the concept of temple, is to refer to the literal temple in Jerusalem made out of physical materials, the temple house of God. The other way the Old Testament uses the concepts, you know, house, temple, is in the metaphorical sense to refer to the house of Israel. That is, God's people, the covenant community, God's covenant community. God dwells in the literal temple. This is the picture. God dwells in the literal temple as a symbol that he dwells in the midst of his people who are his true residents. In the New Testament, this is the big stuff we do every Christmas. In the New Testament, God takes humanity upon himself in the incarnation to dwell with us in the person of Jesus. And because we in the church, because we here are united to Jesus by faith, we say that God, and this is the reality, God dwells in us too. So the church is being built up as the people, temple, house, in which God dwells with Christ himself. The Bible says Christ is the chief cornerstone, that first stone that you lay as the first, as the first part of the build from which we get our name, cornerstone. Our church, now, our church is not the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. We are one church defined and built on him who is our foundation. So, y'all get this? Yeah, we're cornerstone. We're a synecdoche. Oh, go, right? Hey, the vision of a menorah lampstand, it is a picture of God dwelling in his people. And that's, we're saying that's not just an Old Testament thing. That is not just something Zechariah is telling the people. That is for us too. That God dwells in with his people. At the end of the New Testament, go to the end of the New Testament, Revelation 1, the apostle John meets the resurrected and glorified Jesus Christ. And he's standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands. And Jesus tells John, the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. The lampstands, it's the church. Which all that means, the awesome, fiery glory of God is being reproduced here in the menorah. You see this menorah, it's on fire. The fiery, that means that the fiery glory of God is being reproduced in his people whom he dwells in whom he dwells. That's the golden flames. Like you see, you see this menorah and it's all of fire. The, the image of gold and the image of fire, it, it, all throughout the Bible, it's used for God's glory. And here you've got both. You've got gold and you've got the fire. The golden menorah burning bright with fire, that's the image of the people of God. That's the image of us bearing God's glorious image. Let's get concrete here. What does that look like to bear God's image? What does it look like to bear God's fiery, awesome image? We see one of the elements of bearing 
the fiery image of God in the vision, shining the light of truth in the midst of a dark world. That, that's what one of the elements of, of bearing God's fiery image is that we shine the light of truth in the midst of a dark world. You, again, you go back to verse seven. It's the menorah who is calling out to this mountain, saying, great mountain, you will be defeated. What's that great mountain? The mountain is the worldly temple. It's this worldly temple that has set itself up in opposition to God's temple. It's trying to overlook God's temple mount, this other mount that has set this other mountain that has set itself up. It's this worldly mountain, and the menorah church is looking at that mountain saying, You're not gonna win. You will be defeated. If you think back, um, if you think back to the original image bearer of God, Adam, he was supposed to shine the light of truth when confronting the devil in the garden. And he failed. And now after the fall, God's people, as his image bearers, we are to shine the light of truth in the midst of a dark, fallen world. So the, this message of the menorah people, of God, to the world, what we're told right here is it is a message of judgment. That the world will be judged. That you will be judged if you do not repent and join the people of God. Our message is the same as the New Testament people of God. It, not that the world is condemned uh, right now. It's all over. There's no hope. Our message is that judgment day is coming. And when it does, it will be too late. That in this life, you've got to make this turn. Now, shocker, the world doesn't like that message. The world does not like that message. So one effect of the fiery light of truth is that it exposes like what's wrong and it repels. Y'all know that famous John 3.16 passage, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Well, three verses later, it says this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the, this is Jesus. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. The menorah is a fiery lamp. And there's a difference between a flashlight and a lamp. A flashlight focuses all the light that it emits like in one direction. A lamp shines its light all around, immersing the, you know, the surrounding area in light. So the church is a fiery flame lamp is much better pictured than a flashlight. As in, you, you cannot hide near a big fire, terrible place to hide, because a big fire lights up everything around it. And it lights everything up around it indiscriminately. It lights up everything and everyone. Our fiery truth is for the world. For everyone, indiscriminately. And it is a message of judgment. And it's because sin is not first and foremost bad because it's bad for us. 
This is from another pastor here in Houston, uh, a pastor named Todd Bordeaux, who says this really well. He says, I mean, he's pointing this out, this stuff of like, the way it's said these days is you want your, have you heard this? You want your best life now. Your best life now. That's that's popular in Houston. Uh, Another version of that popular idea uh, is that what you want is you want to flourish in this life. Our big problem with sin is not that sin doesn't enable us to flourish. As if God wish it were the case that we're not flourishing, God would like us to be the best we can be, but we're choosing wrong. If we would just do things the way God says to do things, the way he designed us to, then we'd be much happier. We'd be more fulfilled. Uh, We'd transform our cities and the world. That, that message may be full of, you know, warnings that you're, you're, you're not at your best, but there is no condemnation in that kind of message. And yes, sin, sin damages our psyches, sin damages our relationships, but sin is bad because it breaks God's law and it makes you God's enemy. And God is going to judge you for it because he is totally holy. The big problem with sin is that it it offends God. There is nothing, there's really nothing offensive to hear God wants you to be happier and more fulfilled and flourish, just do things his way. Like you can hear that and you can reject it and not be offended by it. But the message of the people of God has got to bring the bad news that God is going to judge you for sin because it offends him. And you know who wants to hear that? Nobody. (laughs) Nobody. We started this service with this call to worship, this, that Jesus spoke to his disciples saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, It's been helped here by uh, another pastor in South Carolina that uh, Jesus will give you the bleakest assessment of humankind. He stood before crowds telling the people who are following him, telling people who are hearing him for the very first time He told them, you are evil. He did not love people by hiding the bad news from them. He loved them by telling them the bad news. He told people the hard things, that the world is dark because the world is full of people who are full of darkness. And that has not changed. Like what Jesus told them has not changed. Look outside. Look at the darkness all over the world All over the world today, look at the darkness overseas, look to the darkness in our own country, to the darkness in our own city, to the darkness in your own family, to the darkness in your own friendships, to the darkness in your own heart. Even if you are nice, peaceful, hardworking, moral, what comes naturally to you 
is to decide what is right and what is wrong for you. To not let God, to not let God decide what is right and wrong for you. That you'll trust your instincts, you'll trust your feelings, you'll trust your experiences, what you've done in the past. You'll trust the counsel and the opinions of your friends rather than trust God. That is darkness. And it's in each of us. When Jesus shines that truth, he exposes us. And when Jesus exposes us, it is not to embarrass us as if, knew it, gotcha. Like, like, there it is. No one knew that till now. And there it is for shame. This, this is not, what he's, he does not expose us to shame us, but to say, okay, now the truth that you need is Savior, it is not an abstraction. Jesus is saying, I'm not setting you up to shame you, but to save you, to make you a light. In the Old Testament, people of God who are getting this message from Zechariah, they were meant to be a light. And the early church who gets this message from Zechariah was a light. So commentators tell us about the early church and how it stood out like a light. Um, the church was, uh, the early church was against sex outside of marriage, which was super weird at that time. No one did that. No one cared about that. The church was against same-sex practice, which again, super weird. The early church was against abortion and infanticide. And that was weird because in Roman culture, it was legitimate. It was a normal thing that if you had a child and you didn't want that child, you literally would just put it out on the street. You'd throw it out and let it die in the street. And the, the early church not only did not participate in that practice, but if they happened to be walking along and came across an abandoned child left for dead, they rescued it and they adopted it and they raised it as their own. So one day, you're just going about your life, going about your business. You see a kid on the street abandoned. Bam, you just got another kid. The church, the early church empowered women. The church used women in positions of leadership in ways that the rest of the culture did not because they recognized women as co-image bearers of God. Like their word, what they had to say, it mattered. What they did, it mattered. Uh, the church integrated different classes, different ethnicities, different nationalities in a way that no one ever did before. The church supported and loved the poor amongst their congregations. In ancient Near Eastern Roman and Greek culture, that was not a woke thing. Back then, it was not cool to want to care for the poor. Nobody wanted anything to do with the poor, but not the church. And the early church believed in one God and that Jesus was the God-man and that Jesus was the only way to salvation. Roman culture was unbelievably polytheistic, pluralistic, integrationist. Everyone had their own gods and we share our gods. And Christians were the only ones saying, well, no, there is only one God. His name is Jesus. 
And so Christians were incredibly spiritually exclusive. The church has always been a fire shining the light of truth. And the menorah mission, the mission of the church, you, just, you, don't just stay, you don't just stay there with the bad news. It is not just going around judgment, condemnation. Yeah, we got to have the bad news to have the good news, but you've got to have the good news. We shine the light of truth the truth of salvation in Jesus, who said about himself, I am the light of the world. Uh, another one of my good friends, uh, Pastor Sean Sladen, I think he's in Tennessee. Uh, he's, he, love the way he says this. He says, Christianity is about absolute truth. Yes. But it is so easy. Y'all, it is so tempting to make Christianity about absolute knowing. Like knowing the truth of the gospel can become this thing of, well, I've, there it is, I've arrived. And I know everything about God and I'll just stuff this knowledge into a bag and carry it around and hit people upside the head with it. Knowing the truth about God is knowing a person. And you will spend the rest of your life and the rest of your eternal life getting to know that person. One of the things you learn in seminary is that the more you know, the less you know. My, my pastor's friends, uh, his professor once told him, because he, he was just, he was about to give up on all of it. And she said to him, what if absolute truth is a person in whom you must trust and follow and love rather than a body of information that you can master and control and my friend said that's when he realized that a master of divinity is a big fat joke. Uh, because you will never master this thing called divinity in three to four years. You learn a lot. I, I learned a lot. And, and, and I have learned a lot since then. Like really, not a humble brag. I know a lot. <laughs> This is the job of a minister is to be a lifelong student. And I am still learning that the more I know, the reality is the more I know that I don't know. So the truth is not a, it's not, the truth is not a place of arrival. The truth is about a person. It is a person who we will come to know more and more forever and ever. My, my most fave theologian is from the 20th century. Uh, he, he passed. Uh, uh, some years ago, Old Testament scholar named Meredith Klein. And I know I'm not the only one who knows this person. It makes me feel better. But uh, he wrote in long, complex, technical sentences. He assumed way, 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 way too much on the part of his reader. He sometimes made up his own words. So he's so hard to read. Uh, and his jam, it's covenant theology, it's pneumatology, it's cosmology, it's eschatology, it's theocracy and common grace and culture, and ancient Near Eastern suzerain vassal treaties. <laughs> and one of my friends from seminary who introduced me to Klein, and he loves Klein too, but he once asked me like, why do you love Klein? And, and I hadn't thought of it, just my knee-jerk reaction was, because he shows me Jesus in all the scriptures. 
I was in uh, vacay once reading Klein's commentary on Zechariah, from which all this stuff comes, uh, reading his commentary, and Ryan looks over at me, and I'm crying. <laughs> I guarantee you that is the first and only time that has ever happened in the history of the world, uh, crying, reading a Zechariah commentary. Uh, because Klein is bringing to light how all of Zechariah points to It's on every page. And with that beautiful ocean sun shining down on me, I am weeping over the beauty of the light of Jesus Christ and his love and his grace to the point of sacrificing everything to take the judgment for his people, for you and for me. And about this vision, Klein says, it's really hard for us to, to visualize this because we, we didn't grow up in the temple, but it would not have been for Zechariah. It would not have been for those, the people who got this message first. Think of the structure of the temple. And I'm going to tell you about the structure of the temple. Inside the temple, inside the central part of the temple is the holy place. And at the far end of the holy place, there is the altar of sacrifice. That's where the priests did the sacrifice of the animals. Okay? On the other side of the holy place was another inner room called the most holy place. The holy of holies. This is where the ark was. This is where God's presence was. The high priest could only go in there once a year. This is, this is, the ark is in there, which is really God's throne, and even more so, it's really God's footstool because his throne is in heaven. Kind of awesome uh, picture thing. And, and so in between the altar of sacrifice and the most holy place, in between them uh, is the menorah lampstand lighting the way. The menorah flame lit the way from the altar of sacrifice to the throne of grace. In the first version of the temple, is called the tabernacle. It was this mobile tent that they used in the desert as they're roaming. Uh, there was just one menorah lampstand. And then you read about Solomon's temple, the final product. In 1 Kings chapter 7, you read about this. There were 10 lampstands, five on the north side, five on the south side, and they are forming a pathway from the site of sacrifice and judgment to the most holy place throne room of God. Think for a second. Do you see what that is pointing to? Do you see what the structure of the temple, the reality it is pointing to, do you, do you, the fulfillment of it? The light of truth of the church, It because we're the menorah lamp, the light of the truth of the church lights the way from the cross to heaven. From judgment to salvation. From death to eternal life. What does the light do? It shows the way. What does the church do? It shows the way. And the way is Jesus. In the Old Testament, the temple, it's set on a hill. It's the highest point in Jerusalem, and they were to shine the light of God as a summons to all the nations to Jerusalem to come and find the truth and salvation. And now the church is the temple. We are a city on a hill, and we summon all nations. We summon 
all peoples to the heavenly Jerusalem. We summon them to the way, the truth, and the life. We summon them to Jesus. This is the way. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the light of your grace. We praise you for the light of your love. We praise you for the light of this truth, uh, our risen Lord and Savior. We praise you that you have exposed who we are by sending your Son. We praise you for exposing who, who Jesus is shining uh, in our lives. Lord, to show us the way, to show us the truth, to show us eternal life. And Lord, this is not just for, for us as individuals. You, you have given this to your people. Bless us as, as your people, as your, as your temple house, as your, as your church, to hold on to, to run to, to continue to remain in the presence of this light, to hold on to Jesus together, that we would hold on to him together that we would continue to proclaim and sit under and love this gospel and to hold that out as, as a church and also, yes, in our individual lives as we go out into the world that we would let our, our light shine uh, uh, out of love and out of grace for those who do not yet know this light, that they would come into the light. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.